0: Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors' Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.com. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. I'm here with my illustrious co-host, Jay Shaw. Erica Spencer is nowhere to be found. I'm sure we'll locate her one day. Anyways, on this episode, we're sitting down with John Evans. Uh, John is a... What's
1: up, everyone? <laughs> John is wow, very, a very, very humble program.
0: guy, a very humble guy.
1: Where do we find these
0: castles? I don't know. I don't know. We're at the bottom of the barrel. Anyways, John, we really appreciate appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast with us. Uh, Jay and I and Erica, we feel this podcast and this episode will have a lot of great content for those soon-to-be investors like yourself who have the same or similar questions that you have. We want everybody to get something out of this, and we feel pretty confident that everyone will. So without stealing too much thunder, if uh, maybe you'll tell us a bit about yourself on a personal level and maybe a little bit in terms of your knowledge with with real estate as it stands right now.
1: Well, guys, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always the toughest question, I guess, to start. It's always the hardest to talk about yourself, but I'll give it a stab. Go for it. Um, Kind of before we start going, I'd like to thank Fitzy, uh, Brian. Fitzy, I'm just going to call you Fitzy. Cool. I'll be tracking myself the whole podcast if I don't. But thanks, Fitzy, for the kind words. Um, And thanks for having me on. It means a lot coming from the senior guy in the crew. (laughs) <laughs> also I wanna acknowledge <laughs> You're killing also I, I wanna acknowledge both of you guys. Um, just because who would have thought that someone who hasn't invested in real estate can actually be on a real estate podcast? I think that's very innovative and uh, the segment that you guys have, like the soon to be or the wanna be but haven't made that jump yet, real estate investors gonna is just a golden idea. It's a great idea. Um, I don't know. Is it a first of its kind?
0: It's I haven't heard anything
1: else before. It's
0: groundbreaking. Yeah, I haven't heard stuff. anything
1: else before, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts of my time.
0: And You're a modern day
1: pioneer. pioneer. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that I can uh, be of service to you guys. But it, it's crazy that this hasn't happened before because I bet you a majority of the listeners for, of these real estate podcasts are people who actually haven't invested yet themselves. Maybe for a lot of different reasons, and hopefully we can clear that up with them today. Um, And you know what? You guys are kind of on the – well, I'm on the outside looking in, and uh, maybe we can relate to the audience and answer some of these questions. And uh, I guess this is the the time to give you guys a little bit of a plug. Uh, To all those listeners out there, make sure you you subscribe to the Real Estate Investing Lounge. Give it a five-star review. Um, just because these guys are thinking outside the box, creating create, uh, u- unique content. So subscribe and review um, so they can kind of continue making this fire content. Um, I know that's a long-winded winded intro, and I still kind of haven't answered you guys' questions. Um, so maybe a little, bit, a little bit about me. Born and raised in the GTA, kind of growing up, all I did was play sports um, and fitness. That's what it revolved around, nothing else. I got fed and boarded by my parents, and I had, didn't have too many worries The sports and fitness. Um, I'm a guy that probably lives pretty simply, don't need too much to have fun. As long as I'm around friends, I get outdoors, work out four or five times a week, and uh, play sports. And I enjoy like reading and learning. Other than that, um doesn't really concern me, and that just makes a, a great life for me. Um, I enjoy like health and fitness, CrossFit. I recently kind of switched my, uh, training protocol up since I'm getting a little bit older now, more focused on longevity and health rather than like work for performance and getting, getting the biggest muscles I can, <laughs> even though they're not too big, big to begin with. Um, I love the getting and, old. And that's
0: it. You, what are you 30? You're 30. Yeah.
1: You? Well, I know, but yeah, you wake up after those nights of drinking and it's a little bit Takes you a little bit longer to recover, or after a hard workout, um, picking up those stuff, uh, those things off the floor just seem a little bit harder now. And we're on a dating, Feel like we're on a dating,
2: <laughs> yeah. like dating site here. You, you enjoy long walks yeah. on
1: the beach as well. Well, uh, yeah, I like being outdoors. Maybe we can do with <laughs> someone one day. Wow, um, amazing. Is, I'm writing. I'm taking notes. Perfect. Um, well, you guys are more of like investing side, so let's get. Look at um, I started becoming intrigued in investing, and in it started with, with real estate. It started more, more, more. Grade 11, so dating—I guess not dating myself—but that's like 2003 for me. I had an entrepreneurial business class in high school, and it was taught by this teacher, Mr. Byer, who kind of before he got into teaching, he owned and operated many businesses, and uh, this took up a large portion of his life before he kind of settled down, I guess, as a business teacher. So he didn't really follow the content, nor did he care to. But he did teach us the importance of business and how to run a business, saving versus spending, creating wealth, investing, either be equities or mutual funds. We never really talked about real estate with him. Maybe it's something a topic that he, uh, he didn't do himself. But it kind of got me on the on the path to investing. Um, just focusing on equities and mutual funds. So this started the investment journey, dabbled in almost any kinds of uh, trading, trading stock, using technical analysis, momentum, kind of growth dividend strategies, um, paying and kind of like paying these stock sites to give me their best tips and kind of creating these algorithms to um, pick top winning stocks. And over the time, yeah, it, it may have worked, But kind of doing some research, I found that I wasn't beating the average, but I was spending an above-average time kind of researching all of this stuff. Um, And I had no control over if the stock was going down. There'd be some information telling the stock was going to go up, and it'd go down. Then other information where I thought the stock was going to go down, and it went up. So I I didn't have control, and uh, that kind of bothered me. And it kind of came across index index funds around that time reading books like like a, a Random Walk Down Wall Street, or John Bogle had a lot of good information. He's the one that created those in- indexed uh, Vanguard index funds. And just reading blogs and all that stuff. Um, and that got me into index funds. And if you know anything about index funds, they can be very passive if you set up your portfolio right. So I went from managing or researching stocks 10 hours a week to 30 minutes, uh, 30 minutes a year managing my portfolio. So a lot of time opened up. And in that time, I kind of started researching on wealth creation. And what do you know? Everyone says it. Real estate just keeps popping up. Um, so that was about, well, a little bit more than two and a half years ago. But in between that time, I was kind of focused on getting onto the fire department. That's a job in itself. And kind of once I got on... Talking to Fitzy and the crew, we sit around the table the odd time between our training and all the calls that we get, and uh, we, we like to talk about finance. And uh, that's kind of the story of my life, both personal and in the investi- investing realm. And I think you guys asked one more question, something about my knowledge on real estate. Is that what you asked there, guys? In terms of my ro- knowledge of real estate... I seem to have a majority of the theoretical concepts and ideas, but absolutely no practical. Uh, Probably something I'm hoping to change soon.
0: Okay, so what what is it about real estate that sounds so appealing to you?
2: Oh, you obviously know
0: the Um, appeals to the stocks, but you said that real estate keep kind of keeps popping up here and there. So what is it about it that that kind of catches your attention?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm not really interested in the bricks and mortars of real estate. Um am I allowed to say that or admit that on your podcast?
0: Yeah, yeah. Whatever you want, man. Okay,
1: okay. So I'm not actually interested in like the bricks and mortar. I don't look at a house and say, Oh, look at that door or oh, that's a fantastic roof. Anything like that. I really like what um real estate can do for you as an investment. And uh you're basically buying a, like a tangible asset, something that you can touch deals, all that stuff operates like a, like a mini business. Um, I kind of talked before about how in stocks, you, you basically have no control over the outcomes or you can have no decisions. Your, your decisions make no difference on what's happening with the stock with owning real estate. I feel like you have direct control over decisions and outcomes. Um, and you know what? If this is real estate's going to be a business that's going to last for a lifetime, at least my lifetime, and well, that's going to be a little bit hopefully longer than uh, some of you older guys. No, I'm just joking. Um, yeah. I don't know why I said that. You can, you so can John, cut that out.
2: John, you're you're light years ahead of where you know a lot of us, like with uh, Brian, myself, and Erica, when we go and meet with new investors you've got your head wrapped around this right you talk about all the things that we talk about when we meet new investors about you know control about you know steady stable growth right real estate's not a get rich quick scheme what do you think it is that's holding you back from making a leap and jumping in right now in terms of investing in real estate
1: oh i've got a whole page of that and i think um that's my, that might be something that we get into a little bit later, unless you guys want to dive into that right now. But just high level. I mean, just like
2: two two quick points right off the hop. Okay. We can
1: delve into yeah, that yeah. deeper, because I have a
2: bunch of questions from Brian and I, too, and we want to answer those. But just high level, what do you think is kind
1: of, you know, holding you back right now? For sure. For me, I know it's it's definitely psychological. It's um, all of that what if, Right. I know everything. I don't know everything, but I know a fair amount. And it, sh- I should be getting into the knowledge that I know. And I do believe, believe strongly in it. But for me, it's, it's, it's psychological. It's, um, the unknown. And, and me and 50 talk about it all the time. It's you're not going to know everything when you come into real estate. And that's something that you, you have to accept. There's going to be lots of things that come up, but that's going to allow you to kind of grow as an investor and um, and learn. Um, so I would have to say for me, it's, I want to kind of always think about that perfect deal, that home run deal. And you're constantly looking for it, but it might be those singles that you're hitting and that's, that's where you're going to learn. And down the line, you might come across that sweet deal and you just knock it out of the park
2: that's totally what it is right because at the end of the day there's
1: not always you're not always going to find that sweetheart
2: deal sometimes you have to take you know the shitty deal and make it a sweetheart deal and i think that's where um you really need to have the creativity right and be able to kind of you know kind of dig through the trenches to find that deal right i mean everyone wants like i mean brian you and i could probably you know commiserate about this everyone wants turnkey uh you know ready to go um You know, no one wants to do the heavy lifting, right? And I think the first one, I mean, yeah, you want to try and get as close to turnkey as possible, right? So that you, you know, don't scare yourself off from it, right? But I think that's the big thing is that you've got to, sometimes you have to make those deals happen don't kind of fall out of thin air, unless you're Erica, and that that usually happens to her. So
1: (laughs) that's why she's not here. Yeah, Yeah. I I truly do believe it. It's just, I got to pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, I, I, when you were talking about that, about the psychological, the the image that came to mind is like you, because you like to be outdoors doing sports and, you know, CrossFit and adrenaline and all that jazz. And I just picture you standing on the edge of a cliff, kind of like looking in like you're going to jump and you just need somebody to give you that push and kind of help you with that jump. But I think what Jay is saying is, is spot on for a new investor like yourself, where I think that to start let's start small start with something that's maybe turnkey or just needs minor changes before you you know obviously i wouldn't suggest going into a flip off your first off your first hop but maybe starting something small so with that being said when you said psychological like and you said about the what ifs what what are the first like two what ifs that come to mind when you when you when you say that to yourself
1: um What are the two? R- what if? Yeah, just well, two. Two top. As of you mind. guys were talking about before, I I do like a lot of fitness. I I do like to kind of get outdoors, and I'm a guy that really enjoys my career. And I'm not really. It doesn't seem like I'm doing it to get away from my career. I'm more looking into real estate as enhancing my lifestyle. So you have some of these guys that are are really grinding because. They don't enjoy their career. I'm not going to say guys, maybe guys and girls, but they're not enjoying their career. So it's a, it's a, a way of escaping. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy what I, I do, and I live quite simply, so I have a lot of easy outlets to get to. So one of the big fears is how much time is it going to take up? Is it going to kind of cut into all the times I like to kind of go camping, um, go go to the gym consistently, is it going to get cut into that time? So that's one of the worries or the what if that I have. Um, another thing is, is I guess um, big fixes and big problems with the building. I'm not one that has too much construction background, and not knowing that type of stuff is, is, can I get into some big problems. So those are the two major what ifs that I would have concerns with.
0: Yeah, those are they're valid. They're valid for sure. I mean. Obviously, you. you I think the
2: second one's a big.
0: Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, you're no, you're right, Jay. It is the big one. Like, what if there's a big, uh, a big fix that has to come? Like, you know, whatever furnace and AC, or uh, there's a basement leak or something like that. Those are risks, right? But it's just it's in some ways it's no different than your stocks that you invest in. There's risk there, but you know, at the same time, the stock goes down, you can't do anything about it. If you get a, a furnace. Takes a shit on you, you can do something about. It. You just go and get a new furnace, you know. So there is more control, even on the downside of real estate, in my opinion. And I don't know if Jay would agree. Probably, but you know, there's it's still there's downside, but it's controllable. And if there wasn't downside, you've heard it before, everybody'd be doing it, right?
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. There, and uh, quite recent recently, since you've been taking me out to a lot of these networks. I really never realized how important a network is. I thought real estate investing was you kind of did it by yourself, you made some money, and you made all the decisions by yourself, but after going to these networks, you see how valuable your network is, and the last one we went to is if you you had any problems or any questions, it seems like someone in the room has an answer to it or have been through it. So that gave me a little bit of peace of mind about the the second point of, of big issues arising be it a tenant, um, a building issue, something like that, I feel that if you have the right network and know the right people, those are problems that can be solved um, easier than I thought they could be.
0: For sure.
1: John, we like
2: we call it, like in our circles, I mean, we call that your dream team, right? It takes a while for you to identify that dream team, right? Like, I mean, Brian can attest to this. I mean, I'm not the handiest guy. I mean, actually, everyone laughs at me the minute I pick up a uh, – <laughs> uh, a tape measure right they're like oh, oh he's got a tape measure to look out so I'm not the most handiest guy but I know the most
1: handiest guy and we have
2: you know now and it's taken us a while to develop this team but we have the best you know HVAC guy we have the best electrician we have the best handyman we have the best plumber right uh, and these guys you know are, are part of our dream team and they work for us and then we send them a lot of business well from our stuff, or you know, when we get calls like this week, Brian called, uh, and he was like, "Hey, do you know a good foundation guy?" And I said, "Yeah, we actually do, right? T- call this guy, right?" So you're only gonna you're only as good as your dream team, and you're only gonna go as far as they can take you, right? So if you're good to your team, your team's gonna be good to you. And maybe
1: some of the new investors and me included want to hear like, how do you go about creating this dream team, and what is comprised of this dream team?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question, right? I think like, um, you know, I think the best thing that, uh, you know, you got to do, I mean, you got to kiss a lot of frogs, right? (laughs) You're going to fire your, you're going to fire your fair share of contractors, right? But when you find someone who's good, who's reliable, who's not going to take advantage of you, who's not going to gouge you, then you hold on to them, right? And the second thing is word of mouth, right? Your referrals, right? when you refer someone, it's like this in any, anything you do Like you're, you know, your referral, like, I mean, you're standing behind that person. If they go to a job site, you know, pardon my French, but shit the bed, right. That's a reflection on you. So you only want to refer the best people, right. There was a while, there was a time where people were like, Hey, do you know a good contractor? It's like, you know, well, we know contractors. Yeah. (laughs) I'll give you a few names. Oh yeah. yeah. But right now we don't know any good ones. Right. So again, like, I mean, it's, you know, you got to like, I think that's the best way. I don't know, Brian, what you think, but you kind of got to, you, you got to kiss a lot of frogs.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of what, what Jay's saying. And and I when you brought that up, John, it made me think back when I kind of jumped into real estate with that flip. And if I had known the ability of a network when I was doing that first flip, I, I would have saved a lot of hair. Like now I have none left because I didn't have a good network. <laughs> But the thing too and what jay's touching upon is yes you get to kiss frogs and basically you got to have a, a strong arm and a, and a strong spine to, to get rid of people if they're not doing the job you need but when it comes to the dream team it's you know it's your network with you know your mortgage agent you gotta have a good lawyer who knows what he's doing and if your investment properties or student rentals make sure they know what they're doing when it comes to those types of strategies that you're using home inspector is a good one too um i mean Sometimes you just get a home inspection for peace of mind. Sometimes you really have questions about something. And, I mean, home inspection sometimes can help you with the insurance as well. Contractor, Jay touched on that. Your realtor, it's a good one too. I mean, and then all your trades, like not just one contractor, but your trades like Jay said. And and I know Jay, he's kissed a lot of frogs. He's kissed dozens. <laughs> but that's the thing is that he's he's gone through it we've both gone through and we we now know who we can rely on especially when you're in a pinch and i mean that just comes from networking talking and working
1: so then continuing on with that would you say the single best way of kind of creating the power team is through word of mouth of reliable people that you know in your network
0: i think it helps a lot absolutely yeah. like yeah. Like Jay Absolutely. said, like Jay said, right? Like I, I needed a, a foundation guy. I reached out to him, um, not that long ago. He asked me if I had an HVAC guy in Hamilton. It's, and you know, it it could be a case that he has an HVAC guy in Hamilton, but his isn't available. So use mine. They're just as good, and that's a, it's the a trade off, and that's that's a huge asset. Like not his, not only is Jay like really handsome, but he has a lot of people <laughs> in his in his Rolodex too, right? But, yeah, it's it's a case of meeting people, and, and I mean, you're a smart guy. You'll know if, if you get somebody off Kijiji if they're not doing a good job. I know you're not the handiest guy, but you're smart enough to know if they're doing things properly. And if you don't think they're doing things properly, then get rid of them. Go to the next Kijiji ad.
1: I'm, I know you can't see it, but I'm blushing right now. It's <laughs> smart, thank you. <laughs>
0: Um, so like, what are your concerns? I mean, we talked about the what ifs, but is there anything other than, you know, a foundation leak or a furnace going on you that is of real concern? I mean, I think, you know, kind of what you're getting into. Do you ever think that maybe you just should take the leap?
1: Um, well, yeah, that's the million dollar question of player 50. I, I think I should take the leap. I mean, I should take the leap, but the leap. Um, And you know what? This is probably a question listeners will get great value from. Um, And maybe after, you guys can provide a little bit of insight about kind of tackling or overcoming these barriers with all the investors that you guys have worked with. Um, But my main thing, as we kind of discussed before, is where I'm getting stuck is that psychological aspect, that analysis paralysis. Christy knows I'm a numbers guy. I love to crunch numbers and I can constantly uh, crunch numbers and I get satisfaction of the crunching numbers. Um, So it's almost like I get a satisfaction of maybe knowing the deal would work and then not go through with it. But like we said, uh, hitting that home run, finding that perfect deal is is a a barrier for leaping. And another one is I kind of consume so much content that you're, I'm constantly flip-flopping between what type of tactic or strategy is the best and, when uh, Money Sense comes out or Don Campbell come, uh, comes out with, where are the best areas to invest? Um, my, my brain is constantly kind of scrambling. Oh, should I do St. Catherine, London? Um, should I try to go a little bit out east? Should I stay in the Gordon Horseshoe, et cetera, et cetera? Um, there's another barrier. Another thing is kind of being, uh, having searching for the last few years I've seen a, a drastic price tra- change and everything seems so expensive now. Um, and the, I can't just kind of stop about the what if. So, what if I would have bought this place two years ago? I would have been, oh, it would have been golden. Um, and then lastly, I guess the, another thing that kind of uh, makes me get stuck is, yeah, podcasts are a great way of getting information. And this is, ex- this is why I really like the the topic that you guys are doing on this podcast but they can be intimidating sometimes like with um sometimes you listen to podcasts with the titles of acquiring 32 properties in 32 months jay <laughs> i
2: know really. nothing about that really.
1: that that can that can be intimidating because <laughs> i think how much time do you have to spend to get 32 properties in 32 months and jay, you guys probably spend a lot of time doing it or your systems are fantastic but there's another barrier. It's just kind of a little bit of an intimidation factor.
2: It's all in your head, John,
1: right? You don't need to do
2: 32 and 32, but you need to do one, right? And the first one, and Brian will tell you this, the first one is all, always the hardest. And for, you know, Eric and I, I was I was the guy that you're describing. I was the deal analyzer. I would analyze that the first deal that we bought on the Hamilton Mountain until the cows came home. And if Erica hadn't given me a swift kick in the ass, to put an offer on that house Um, that house is appreciated Um, we bought it for under 300 and it's probably worth in the I would say low fives high fours (laughs) so in in four years right that's appreciation that you've missed out on right just by not you know kind of taking that giant step forward right and I'm just as guilty I'm not going to sit here and say that oh I you know I had the foresight to do it right but there's cost. There's opportunity costs associated with not acting, right?
0: And to touch on the thirty-two in thirty-two, I guarantee you, Jay learned something each time. Like out of the thirty-two, he probably learned thirty-two new things because no deal is ever the same, no property is ever the same, the tenants are never the same. It's constantly a learning curve. And you're, like we said, like you you have your head around this, and you love to learn. So be prepared to learn something every day while making money, hopefully.
1: And you want to
2: learn something new. You don't want to go in there and have all the answers, right? Like, I mean, we all we all kind of say, you know, fake it till you make it. The first house we bought, we had absolutely no clue what we were doing, right? Like, Erica will tell you stories how she wanted to go and pick up, you know, prospective tenants at the bus stop. And I was like, you, like what is wrong with you, right? And it's like, okay, you know, not to pick on her because she's not here, right? But, you know, and yeah. I was the one. How bad could this be, right? And she was yeah. the one like, you know, let's just do it. I wanted to read a lot of books. And it's like, if she hadn't have been like, let's, do, let's just do it. What, what could go wrong, right? For her, like she was right. And like, you know, we're both highly educated people, just like you are and Brian is, right? And we figured it out, right? Just like you figured out investing in stocks, right? You read yeah. a little bit, you know, you go to these networking events, you, you know, you learn from people, right? And if you can take out of every interaction one or two things away from that interaction, you're learning
1: stuff. Now, other than Erica kind of giving you that push, was there ever before you guys started investing that kind of, I'm not going to say aha moment, but where you're like, okay, let's try this. And other than the reasons that kind of Erica gave you. Well, I mean, the big reason that we started investing
2: in real estate was like you, we wanted to build and create wealth. And everything that we saw, you know, every millionaire or billionaire had some sort of ties to real estate. No one really, you know, that we knew or read about, ever got rich on, you know, investing in RSPs or mutual funds or anything like that, right? And I mean, my background, I, I worked in finance for a couple of years, right? I was, you know, that mutual fund salesman peddler, and it was like, I mean, it makes it makes sense for some people, but not for everyone, right? But I think, like, like you said, like from the outset, right, is that having, you know, real estate has so much more control. It was a tangible asset. We could see it. We could drive by it. Um, you know, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme, but it was, like, constantly growing, right, in a responsible manner. So, I mean, that's kind of how we started in, in building. But, I mean, for us just to jump in, it was like, I mean, that's what it was. It was like, let's just jump in, right? Let's start with one and see what happens. It was actually okay, crazy, but that's another story.
1: Yeah. Oh, and look what happened. <laughs> now, 50, I, I know you're a guy that really likes to, likes, to, likes, to, likes to take action, and once you kind of have a plan in place, you really go after it. Um, kind of once you did that, the first deal that you did after that flip, um, what were like some big concerns that are, arose that, you, or problems that you had to solve during that process?
0: Like with my first rental property?
1: With your first rental property, what's some, what's some things that kind of popped out at you that you, you had to solve that became, that you at first thought were issues, but once you went through the process, they seemed like no big deal?
0: Well, first off the flip, I had no idea what I was doing. And then I kind of helped somebody else and we got through it. And we made money. But then that money I took for that first rental, I, I was looking at houses for weeks and then finally came across one um, with my agent at the time because I wasn't an agent at that time. And I knew that house was good. Like I looked at it up and down. There was a new furnace, new air conditioner, new roof, new windows, new doors. I'm like, OK, big ticket items are done. So, I mean, the kitchen's a little rough. Touch this up, paint this, blah, blah, blah. Just freshen it up. And then my biggest concern was tenants. Like, like majority of people that um, are kind of in your position, uh, a lot of people fear interacting with tenants because um, yes, majority of investors and tenants have a lot of the rights and they can make your life difficult. And all I did was I just took my time going through people, applications, time after time, Sitting there waiting for no shows. Um, you know, and that was that was the toughest. And then when you finally had people, it was filtering out the people from the good from the bad. And I say this to everybody like don't be motivated by a fistful of cash because somebody's like, Oh, I love the house, I want to move in, here's the money. No, 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 buddy. You gotta you gotta fill out the application. I you have to do your due diligence. And I found for the most part, knock on wood, I haven't had too many problems because I've taken the time to sort through, you know, the, the different types of people that I want to have in my investment. And I know Jay does a lot of the same thing and he can attest to it too. I'm sure that if you just, if you just rush to put money in your bank account, you're going to be not making any money because you're going to spend weeks, if not months, getting them out because they're not paying. So I'd rather lose two months worth of rent trying to find the right person than spend six or eight months trying to get them out. That was my biggest fear, and it still is, but I feel if I do my due diligence, I, and you know, not to say it won't happen, but in in the long run, I, I think we're still way ahead of the game, even if we hit a few hiccups along the way.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great point, Brian. And I mean, we've been guilty of that too, where that's happened to us, where it's like we weren't a hundred percent sure on a tenant. You know, seemed, you know, seemed okay. We made a gamble, and we we guessed wrong, right? And we paid for it. It wasn't like it wasn't an expensive mistake, but it was a mistake. And at the end of the day, we knew better. Right. We should have known better. But, um, you know, you you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. But it's like it's how you get up. Right. And so many investors, they start out and they have a mistake on their first property. And they say, that's it. I'm not doing this. Like, this is crazy. Send me back to mutual funds. Right, I'm going to go with my, you know, conservative growth plan. at you know in the name of a bank here. And that's it, right? They never even get started. So they never even see kind of, you know, how far they can actually go with it, right? But, uh, you know, I think, Brian, you hit the nail on the head, you know, earlier when you said, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? But they're not. It does take work. It does take time. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to fall down. But you got to get back up. And I think that's the biggest thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, I mean, you can do very well in this, right? And, you know, it's a, you're
1: constantly learning. Yeah, I agree. I've been told by a few investors it kind of seems like all the fears that you have jumping in seems like mountains, but once you get in, they seem like anthills, the vacancies and everything like that. It becomes a lot easier process, and and like you guys were saying, once you guys make a mistake, as long as you learn from that process, um, I guess it might even be money well spent so you don't make that mistake again. And in the the long run, it seems like with real estate, if um, you just do the basics right – um, nine times out of 10, maybe even 10 times out of 10, I'm not going to be that confident, but you're you're most likely to come out ahead in the long term.
0: Yep, exactly. So obviously, John, you know, you're a smart guy, you know all the different types of strategies, right? Like buy and holds, flips, the Burr method, which I always, it's buy, renovate, refinance, and rent. Did I get the reorder right there? I always get that mixed up. Oh, and then the other R, repeat so it's quite is, the art you got there yeah, it's Brian. just it's really, it's really cold in here um so is there any strategies that like kind of um, appeal to you more like student rentals flips single family rentals or the burr method like is, is there anything like that that appeals to you that you think you might gravitate towards once you pull the trigger Come yes
1: on. i would like to bring up a, a few of the kind of the strategies and the topics and um Um, first is student rentals. Just kind of being a student for so long, I kind of under, I feel like I understand students and, um, and this is, I guess, one of the avenues I'd be, I'd be interested in. So I do have a few questions for you guys on student rentals. Um, I also like to talk about RTLs. Well, Well, we'll start with student rentals. Um, I just want to know your guys' thoughts on student rentals as an investment. If you guys are interested in it, why or why not?
0: Do you want to, uh, I know Jay's an RTO you're, you're- guy. I'll, I'll, I'll take this one because I know you're the RTO guy. Um, with, with student rentals, personally, um, I haven't done any. They're definitely appealing. Um, I, I know you're in the London market kind of right now, John, and, and we're kind of in the Niagara area. But there's there's definitely money to be made. Um, a lot of people I've met have started out with student rentals just because of the the cash flow. And I mean, um, one of my clients, he's, uh, he's got four student properties and the cash flow was so strong with it that he basically took that money, reinvested it into the property and every two years he would refinance that property and go and buy the next one. So really, he only bought one property with his money and then just recycled the money into three other properties. And I think the minimum cash flow he's making On one of those properties is, I think, about eleven hundred. That's the lowest one. I think there's like eleven hundred and a a fourteen hundred, and I I don't remember what the other two are. But I mean, they're appealing. My understanding, though, is um, from him, is that he's he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. In I think it's like April, May, when he's changing students, and that's also when he tries to do all his renovations. So it's two weeks of just like it sounds almost like pure hell. That being said, it's two weeks out of 52, and then he's cash flowing. So um, it's definitely something I want to look at. I think it's worth looking at. And if you're looking for something with a nice buffer versus like maybe a a single family rental that's maybe just above uh, neutral cash flow, then student rentals could be it. But I think there's potential for a lot more, um, a little more headaches there rather than a single family. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. What's kind of attracted me to the student rentals is the fact that it seems like they're almost recession proof in the way that in bad times people go back to school and in good times people will. They seem to always want that education. So I like that factor. Um, and th- with the students, yeah, they might be turning over a little bit more, but if you get a poor tenant indoor in, in one of your units and you're trying to get them out for a while... This could be like a year contract that you could um, move on to the next one. I do like the the
2: fact that – go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I was going to say, you typically don't have that, though, in a student rental because in your leases, uh, your your leases are guaranteed by mom and dad, right? Mom and dad are always going to pay the bills. You never – you know, I shouldn't say never, but it's very rare you're going to have an issue where there's been non-payment of rent, and if there is, you just email the parents and – guess what, miraculously rent gets paid pretty quickly, right? So Erica and I did a student rental last year. We did one, uh, we held it for six months, and we sold it. So we bought it, uh, it was in St. Catharines. I know it's a big shock for those of you listening. It was a legal duplex, so it was an eight bedroom house, zoned R2, so I mean we could have done, it had mutual ex- or multiple extra charges. It could have been a student rental, it could have been a um, multi-family house, um we rented it for I think it was four seventy five or five hundred a room. Uh and then our cash flow on it was fourteen hundred dollars a month, which was insane. Right. Uh so yeah. we we did we did okay on that. I mean the reason we sold is this, right? Um, two reasons. One, we're not student rental people, right? Like so we're, we're our strategy we do a lot of legal detox, right? So students, um, you know, it's um a little bit more hand-holding, a um, little bit more uh, maintenance on the property, more wear and tear just because they are students. We didn't have, like, crazy wild parties or anything like that. We actually had eight really good students in the house. Um, the main reason we got rid of it is that in St. Catharines, Brock University has put up what's called the loft. And the lofts are off-campus, these condo-style off-campus um uh, residences, right? So basically it was um, a condo where everyone had their own bathroom, their own room, and then there was a common um, It was a common living room, right, and a common kitchen. So you those were built right across from Bronx, oh. where our house is 15 minutes away on a bus, right? Yeah. Still in a really nice neighborhood, but how do you compete with that? So that was number one. Number two is that St. Catharines has become very saturated in student rentals. A lot of people call or come out and they do the same thing that you're talking about where they're like, oh, I'd really love to do student rental. And like, you know, I really want to go and fill a name of a university town. You have to be very careful with kind of the, you know, the cities that you're investing in, right? St. Catherine's very saturated. Hamilton also can be very saturated. It's got McMaster and Mohawk. Um, London is very good right now because there's not a lot of students, right? And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, new builds being built for uh, student rentals there, so it's a very good strategy. You just have to make sure that you're going into the right areas, right? And especially like you can I think we all agree you can't compete with uh, uh, you know a residence being built
1: directly across from the Like it's just, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the insight. Those are all a really good points. Um, I do enjoy the London market, and I'll have to take a little bit of deeper look into that and do a little bit of research. But um, the other one that I'm really interested in the strategy is kind of single-family homes that buy and hold. That kind of really uh, appeals to me that buy a good house in a good area that covers your costs, and in the long term, it's like a it's a win situation. Um, but I don't know if you can find those anymore. Um, I know you guys are constantly all around Rockstar. Are, are people still doing a lot of... Single family buying holds without turning it into the second suite.
0: Uh, in my in my experience right now, not a ton are going single family um, because, like you said, the prices are going up, and to cover the expenses is getting tighter and tighter. So that's why the second suite is kind of well, it's it's just so sweet. Really, is that it's all yeah. your cash flow, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But. In, in my experience, single-family rentals are, are one of the easiest to rent out. Um, people love the idea of having a whole house to themselves. With that being said, if you're looking at single-family and doing a legal basement conversion, the main floor is always easy to rent out. And I know Jay can agree to this. Is The basement is a bit more of a challenge because not everybody wants to live in a basement. It could be nice. It could be bright. But it's still a basement. So... Uh, single family is easiest in my opinion and, and that's what i if the if the numbers are there and i know you like to crunch the numbers if the numbers are there for a single family rental i think that is one of the best ways to start out like that's to dip your feet in the in the shallow end i think would be the best way
1: well if you if guys get any deals out there let me know about it please <laughs> um this one's probably for jay the rent to own i know you and uh Erica really start. did you guys start out like this with
2: rent owns? Yeah, we started our first um our first three deals were rent to owns. Um yeah. since uh yeah. we sold one. Um one person's walked away and the third one is supposed to buy out at the end of the year. Um but I mean it's a really good strategy.
1: Um
2: what do you want to know about it specifically?
1: What what really drew you overall to the strategy and why did you guys
2: choose that strategy? Um. Yeah, it's a great question, right? Like I think starting out, we really didn't know what to expect. And I mean, having joined Rockstar, I mean they really um, had done a lot of rent to own. So I mean, from there, um, we decided, hey, we'll we'll give it a shot. I think the big thing for us is that it was twofold. One, it was you know steady, stable growth. So we were able to appreciate the property over three years by a certain percentage. So if the market went up, we were able to kind of you know um, benefit from that appreciation. Um, You know. Secondly, you're locking into um, you know a reefer agreement with the with the tenant buyer. They're agreeing to uh, purchase the property from you in three years. And then the third piece was the the option payment, right? As part of a rent to own, um, the tenant buyer is giving you an option payment, right? And a lot of people say, oh, it's five percent. It's not five percent. We tell people it's whatever they're comfortable with, right? We've seen option payments between, you know, anywhere from 10000 and above. So, I mean, getting a $10,000 option payment up front, that just, that's a commitment that the tenant buyer is showing that they're going to purchase the property, right? And you hold that money um, yeah. and you can do whatever you want with it, right? I mean, obviously, it comes off the purchase price when they purchase the property at the end of three years, but it's a great strategy. I and mean, there's a number of investors out there that strictly do, um, you know, rent to own um we have a speaking of shameless plugs um you know our event the uh, the Niagara REI uh we have uh, a speaker coming up uh Rachel Oliver and she does only rent to owns and she's done i think hundreds hundreds of them um all over the she does a lot of them right and and that's the only strategy that she employs and she's very good at it so um but yeah like it's a great strategy right and, i mean at the end of the day to um you know Rent to own tends to get a bit of a bad rap because there's people that do it very well, and there's also people that do it very poorly. And the people that do it very poorly uh, ruin it for everyone else. But at the end of the day, you're helping people buy a property, become a homeowner, right? They may not have the greatest credit, but you're helping them by giving them an option to purchase the property at the end of three years. So it is you are helping people at the same time. So I mean, it you know some people like that as well.
0: As as long as now you I heard that there's success though, oh, right? No, because like what Jay was talking about when people do it poorly is, is they set it up to for the person to fail, and that's where it's getting a bad rap. But Jay, what Jay's talking about is you set it up for success, so not only you win, but the person that's going to be buying the end of the at the end of the the term is winning as well. And the nice thing too, I don't know if Jay you said this or not, that option payment, like he said, you can take and do whatever you want with it. So if you want to go and invest it into another RTO or a potential RTO you've you've now just taken that money and you've recycled it right away and you can just keep doing that and doing that and just taking the same small option payment just keep going, which is really nice.
1: That's a really good point. Um, now, I've heard that there's like a tenant first, a house first. Um, what one do you guys prefer and is there a benefit to either one?
2: Yeah, I mean, we always had the house first, so we would do... You know, I mean, we just had the property, right? So, um, so we basically would put the ad on Kijiji. Um, people would come. We would walk them through the program. Some people do tenant first uh, because then you are pre-qualifying the applicant, right? And then from there, I mean, you're you're working with someone that actually wants to succeed in a program, right? Okay. Um, okay. So with tenant first, I mean there's that piece there. I think one of the things that that we've never done tenant first, but I know people that have and what they typically say is that look, like if you're serious about this, um, you know, we need to see some sort of deposit, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to send this tenant buyer out with, you know, whether it's yourself as a realtor or your own realtor, um, you don't want to waste their time or, or your time, right? So what you tell them is that look, like if you're serious about this, you know, you give us a deposit of, you know, $1,000, $2,000, you know, and then how you can do it, either they can pay that to you directly, or they pay it through your lawyer, and it's in your lawyer's trust account, right? And some people prefer that because it's a little safer, right? At the end of the day, you know, you're not going to run off with their money, right? So, you can do it that way, but you have to show that they're serious, and it's like, you know, it's twofold, right? So, um, both work very well. To
1: start out, the easiest way to do it is property first. Okay. Um, now last question, kind of on the RTO topic, um, can you just kind of paint a picture or provide a few examples of what some of your rent to own clients have looked like and why they've chose rent to own versus, um, kind of maybe continuing renting. Well, I guess they want to own a home, but why they didn't buy. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's a great question, right? Like I think
2: the biggest reason why a lot of them do rent to own is they have poor credit right? That's always the determining factor. That's number one. Number two, it's self-employment, right? I think what we're seeing over the past three, four, five years is the banks have really tightened up on lending requirements, right? So it's becoming harder and harder to get a mortgage. So those are the two big hurdles that we face uh, and how we address them as we work with a lender that specializes in rental. Um, And what they're able to do over the three years, like before we even put them in the program we have them pre-screened by the lender and I mean what we try and say is that look you know in the next three years we can we can get these guys approved or we can't get these guys approved right um, and the other piece that we offer whether the tenant buyer wants to take advantage of it is through the lender we offer free credit counseling right so they can work okay. with our lender in order to help them get approved um, so these are the steps that you need to do to improve your credit in order to get qualified in three years or these are the things you need to do Um you know, in terms of being qualified as a self-employed person, right? I think, uh, you know, not to, not to bash accountants, um, but, you know, people that are self-employed, they always, you know, are very proud of themselves that they find the best accountant who's going to deduct them, you know, as close to zero as possible, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, that, that hurts them when they go for a mortgage because it's, the lender looks at you when you're self-employed, the lender looks at your net income, where for those of us that have E4 income, um, they look at your gross income, right? So that doesn't okay. help you. It actually hurts you. So that's part okay. of the reason um, why people enter into an RTO. Uh, I mean, in terms of kind of the people that have gone through our program, we have, we had one, per, uh, one lady who's a nurse. Um, we had wow. a, couple that were, a couple that were both self-employed. Um, and then the third one we had, um, the guy worked for the city of the municipality. So he was, um, I forget what he did. I think he was. Uh, I think he worked for Public Works or something like that in the city. So, I mean, they are, they come from all walks of life, right? I mean, typically the two hurdles or stumbling blocks are those two.
1: Wow, that's interesting. It seems like pretty um, established people.
0: Yeah, you just don't know what their story is. You know.
1: Interesting. I'll have to look more into the RTOs. I'll have to come out to one of your guys' meetups for sure.
0: Was it first Saturday every month? Yeah, absolutely. Jay? Typically,
1: sorry. Is it first yeah, first yeah, Saturday every month? Yeah, typically the first Saturday. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So that I mean, uh, what do you think of that, John? Hey.
1: You better. You better be good at editing.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll trim this down. Um, so we. Uh, is there anything else you're wondering about? Like off the top of your head. Um. You can always reach out to us afterwards, you too, right? So,
1: Yeah, no, nothing nothing too much that I... Guys, I think you guys answered a majority of my questions, and I know I can kind of reach out to you guys. Anything else that you guys want to touch on?
0: Oh, just the old fire round. No big deal. Oh, okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Jay, are you ready?
1: It, so these are oh, questions. I'm ready, Brian.
0: All right, let's go. John? Where do you see yourself in twelve yeah. months? Oh
1: God, I'm not too good at answering questions quickly. So I'll try to cut this down. Um, first, I, yeah, I can, we get, really like, can we get the long version of this uh, answer here? I'll, I'll give you the medium. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll try to. I'll, I'll, I'll try to cut out the fat. Um, first of all, I'm a guy that really likes personal development. Um, it may seem weird, and I might be opening myself up for a can of worms next time I'm in work, but uh, I. <laughs> Audit myself every every year. You don't tell the guys that work this. I, won't. I audit myself every year in seven pillars. Health and fitness is one. Finance and investing. Relationships and social. That includes like the girlfriend, family, friends. I do education and personal development, spiritual, career, financing and mm-hmm. investing, and personal fun because I'm like a really true saver at heart and I can hoard my money so I want to make sure I'm accountable and actually spending a little bit of my money now to enjoy life. So I audit myself on these things every year. Um, I guess you guys are interested in kind of real estate side of things where I see myself and Jay highlighted this and 50 highlighted this right at the beginning. It's, it's simple. I want to just take action and make a purchase of one property. Um, hopefully that will open the floodgate. And if I could do one purchase in the next 12 months, I would be very happy and then hopefully you guys can, Have me back on to go through
0: that experience. Take action. Where do you see the market in the next 12 months?
1: Oh, I think the market's going to appreciate. Just uh, Toronto's considered to be a world market, but when you compare it to other other places like New York, Tokyo, London, England, Sydney, it seems like a deal. And uh, around Toronto, the GTA, even up in the Golden Horseshoe, there's a finite amount of land. And you can only develop so much around those like main arteries in southern Ontario with the green belt being there. Canada's a great country. You get constant immigration. I just think prices are gonna continue to go up. What do you guys what do you guys think about that? I'm thinking I'm thinking how have you not bought a property yet? You're saying all
2: the right, <laughs> all the right things and I'm
1: like how have you not bought a property?
0: Knowledge <laughs> is potential power.
1: Action is power.
0: All right. You need to get some action. All right, Jay, you're up.
1: Okay, moving along. God, learn from Um, the real estate investment lounge guys and girls. All right. (laughs) I I don't really have a mentor per se. Um, I think now in today's, today's age, you can kind of learn from books and YouTube, and that's where I've done most of my learning. But recently I've really learned that, you do have to build a network and maybe that's something that I'm going to kind of do in the near future. But some guys on YouTube that I follow are like Matt McKeever, Michael Rosart, Matt P. P. they are kind of like London and, uh, um,
0: Kitchener guys.
1: And they have a lot of free content, great content. I learn a lot through them. And I read a lot books, blogs, listen to a lot of podcasts.
0: So what are you currently reading or which podcast are you listening to?
1: Um, I listen to all the basic real estate podcasts, but I am a reader, so I'll talk about that. I'm actually a pretty big reader, like fiction and nonfiction. Um, lately, I've been kind of going down the rabbit hole in digital marketing. I think it's something that everyone needs to know, how to sell, how to market in today's day and age, like digital marketing, social media. So I'm reading a book by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. It's called Jab, 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 Right Hook. It's basically about kind of giving away a lot of content for free and your your followers enjoy it so much that once you do the ask or that right hook, they'll be ready to buy and purchase. Um, another one I'm doing is I've gotten to Stoicism. There's a book called The Obstacle is the Way. It's by uh, Ryan Holiday. It's basically uh, the modern take on um, ancient philosophy of Stoicism, kind of how to endure struggles with resilience.
2: All right. Okay, do you foresee any major changes coming in the next 12 months in terms of the market?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't think interest rates are going to creep up in any way. With just uh, with Canada's debt, I think they can't service that debt too well. So I think interest rates will kind of stay similar. But I do, I do think that the market is going to, going to appreciate. I hope it goes. I hope it goes down. <laughs> I hope it goes
0: down, but I don't think it will.
2: Erica likes to say she hopes the market goes down,
1: so there'll be a fire sale. No yeah. pun intended.
0: Everything's on. Oh, deal. I'm hoping
1: so. I'm hoping so, and I'm not putting those fires out. <laughs> oh, look at that. Okay, last
2: question. Is there any advice that you could give a John Evans uh, about jumping into the market? Would what, what What
1: advice would you give to uh, investors from your perspective? Okay. The first one, and this is something that I've kind of thought about a lot, is uh, really know your why. Why are you investing? Um, And make sure the why is very clear. And you might, I uh, came across this little tactic, ask yourself five why's. So once that first question comes, answer it. Ask yourself why, answer it, and do that five times and kind of get right down to the core of why you're doing something. Uh, This can kind of help you like really align with your strategies. So I'm one that really wants long-term wealth. I'm not going to say more passive, but less time-consuming. So that might kind of lead to a strategy that is um, maybe even a joint venture partner with someone or even along the lines of that single family buy-and-hold turnkey type investment. I can provide another one. Go for it. This is one that I came across in my most recent book. I just kind of came across it the other day, that Ryan Holiday off goes the Way. Um, you hear a lot of these investors are providing with positive or um, what-you-want visualization. And um, it kind of shows you what you want, but I find with real estate investors, especially from my perspective, a lot of the barriers come with fear, the fear of this, the fear of that. So with stoicism, they have something called negative visualization. It's basically kind of looking and creating in your mind the worst-case scenario and then solving problems for that worst-case scenario. So for me, I've I've thought about it. Let's say I buy a place. Somehow it burns down and insurance doesn't cover it. So I've lost a down payment and I don't have a house. But you know what? I'm still working. I'm still getting the income, and the very worst-case scenario is I live the life that I'm living with maybe one less vacation a year, so is that really so bad? And that's the worst, worst case scenario. And what's the likelihood of something burning down and insurance not covering?
0: I think you should be speaking to large groups of people. Wait, basis. isn't this large enough?
1: This isn't going <laughs> out to millions of people.
0: Well, hopefully by the time millions it comes out, millions. it's just, millions, millions, just, just all million. across Canada. Yeah, just. Uh, I just
1: want to know how you have not bought a house. That's I my scratch my head
0: every day. <laughs> but.
2: Anyways, John, this is, this has been great because I think you've kind of, uh, you know, it's great to kind of get your insights due as kind of you know someone on the fence, and I mean just you know your background and you know your knowledge and that, and kind of putting Brian and I on the hot seat um, in terms of kind of you know questions that you have about the different strategies and different things that we've done and kind of building our teams. And, I think it's been I think it's been great, and I think our listeners uh, are going to uh, enjoy kind of reading this because you're not the only one out there, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of you who are kind of you know wanting to dip your toe in, and you know they say it's cold, right? So um, you know, so we really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day talking to us, and uh, you know, I hope uh, hope we've been able to answer a bunch of questions for you, and uh, we really, really, really do want to see you. Um, you know whatever you decide in the next 12 months if it's with a house if it's kind of continuing on your path you know whatever it is it's great so thank you for taking some time out of your out of your schedule tonight
0: yeah buddy
1: well guys i do i I do really appreciate it and kind of keep creating this out of the box unique ideas for these podcasts because you know what you guys are tonight i'm i'm being very honest, I, I do think that you guys are speaking to the majority here, and no one's done it. I haven't seen it, and I'm hoping a lot of a lot of your listeners get a lot of questions answered or just a little bit of confidence from this uh, podcast.
0: We hope so, too. We're here to help. And like Jay said, I, I think uh, you'll be pulling the trigger in the not-too-distant future, So, and I think you'll be just fine.
1: Oh, Fitzy, if I don't, you'll remind me every day.
0: <laughs> That's true. All right, buddy. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll see how this takes a off. Lot, guys. And remember, subscribe and five star ratings. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jay. See Great you to meeting you, buddy. All right, take care.